so that's kind of where nine strong came from um is you know for for so long i was so worried about what i was missing and my mindset flip was you got to be grateful for what you still have man so you know that's where the nine came from um i you know i'm i'm so happy with the nine that i still have i'm not even worried about the one that i lost because if i'm if i'm focused on that one then i'm not here anymore i'll be 100 percent honest welcome to the talking shop podcast where i'm here to share stories lessons and experiences in sports performance and professional development i'm your host matt thomas and today i'm joined by coach brian cromer how are you doing today i'm doing excellent man thanks for having me on you're very welcome. Thank you for taking some time out of your crazy lifestyle. Coach Cromer is a dad of two kids under five, a husband to an amazing wife that I was not paid to say. He's the head varsity softball coach at Panther Creek High School, and he also does work with Jeremy Boone, leader kits all around the leadership development space, and that is actually how he and I know each other. So Steve, my mentor, and Brian, they're both kind of like Jeremy's right-hand guys, and then I got in with all that stuff. And even just a few phone calls that we've had, you've already made an impact on me and just the value that I've received from just your insights and stuff like that. And just what I get from Steve, I can only imagine what the people in your life get from you as well. So I'm super jealous of them. But so that is a little bit about his background, how we know each other. So I have the questions that I sent you, but I have a formal name for the questions that I want to ask that I don't send you that are personalized to you because I ask every guest the same thing. And it's called the surprise round. So Coach Cromer's social handles are living nine strong. And he's got a pretty cool banner picture on Twitter because he only has nine fingers. So I don't know the story, but if you feel comfortable sharing, I'm super interested on hearing kind of just how that story came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, uh, it, it's actually one of the stories that I planned on sharing with you based on questions that you sent me. Um, we can save it. Which, which it's, question? It's okay. It's okay. I, right, I can, we'll do it. Yeah, we can, we can do it. We'll just jump right into it. Um, yeah. So it kind of all started, uh, back in the day when, um, you know, I was teaching special education. Uh, I was in a self-contained class, um, with, uh, basically moderate to severe disabilities. Um, that's what my original, you know, teaching degree was in. Uh, and, you know, it's, it started off a, a normal day. Um, I got a phone call uh, from the front office saying one of our students was having a little bit of a difficulty transitioning to the classroom. So they needed my help. Um, I got down there and uh, amidst, you know, some flailing hands, um, we escorted the, the gentleman up to the room. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. Got up there. Uh, happened to have a scratch on my hand. Um, my left index finger to be exact. And, you know, went through the normal protocol. Washed my hands. You know, put soap and water and bandaged it up. Um, didn't think anything about it until the next day. And it just felt different. Uh, that's, that's the only... The best way that I can say it, it just, it didn't feel right. Um, it didn't feel like any other scratches and progressively throughout the day, it just kept getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse and it hurt a little bit more. Um, and to fast forward a little bit, uh, I went to Duke urgent care and they basically said, you know, it is infected. 
We're going to send you home with some painkillers and some antibiotics for the weekend. Uh, if you know you don't feel okay on Monday, come back in. Um, we went about two blocks. My wife drove me. Uh, thank goodness. Um, she drove me two blocks. By the time we got to the Walgreens to get the prescriptions filled, I, I spiked a fever. Uh, it was about 87 degrees outside, and I was shivering so bad that I went out to the car, sat in the car, and turned the heat on. Um, I, and I, I just couldn't stop shivering. So we get home, and they take my temperature and uh, had a temperature. Uh, so our roommate at the time just happened to be a nurse at Duke. Um, so she took me to the emergency room, answered all the questions when we you know, went in there. And the, only, the last thing that I really vividly remember was they took my temperature. And when I was admitted, it was 103.4. Um, so it was, it was pretty high. Um, fast forward another couple of days, uh, we found out that I had a strep A bacterial infection. Um, and once those get underneath you know, the skin and the bloodstream, um, it's, it's pretty much lethal. It can become deadly. Um, people lose limbs. Uh, you know, the, there were stories coming out that uh, people were losing, you know, both legs, both arms, or a combination of, you know, any of those. Um, and I, I walked away with, you know, losing one finger. Um, and not even the whole finger. Uh, so some, some joke that I, I should be nine and a, and a quarter strong. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, the long story short. Um, I'll, I'll save the, where the nine strong came from for, for later. Nine, nine and a quarter strong definitely doesn't have the same ring to it. So <laughs> Not at I'm, all. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely on, on your side and coach Cromer's out in North Carolina and I forgot, but he's recently retired. So congratulations from teaching yes. full-time, full-time softball. And then the second question of my surprise round is how did you get into softball and what's one thing that working in softball has taught you that like you can only learn from working with softball errors that everyone can learn from? Oh man. Um, so I, I kind of stumbled into softball by accident. Uh, you could say, um, I mean, my softball, uh, background, my cousins played softball, my sister played softball, my dad coached softball. So I've been around the sport forever. Um, but I never had a desire to coach. Uh, and, you know, so I, I grew up playing baseball and that was my, that was my love. That was my passion. It was my first coaching experience um, down in South Carolina. And when I moved up to North Carolina to join my wife, um, who was my fiance at the time, uh, there was no, there was no baseball position open at Panther Creek. Um, Dan Hall, who is now our athletic director, uh, joined Panther Creek one year prior to me. And he basically had a full staff when I joined. So um, you know, our principal looked at me during the interview and said, we, we do have a softball coaching position available, uh, if you're interested. And I was like, softball, baseball, they're not the same thing, but, you know, I've always wanted to be a varsity coach. Um, I was 28 years old at the time. And I, I was like, this, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. Not the sport that I desired necessarily, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And, I will never look back. I will, I will be 100% honest. I will never go back to coaching baseball. I love the sport. Um, I love coaching softball so much more. Um, the sport has, it, it's really taught me that, you know, connection is, is key. Um, 
And, you know, there's, there's nothing that connecting with the athletes um, can, can really top. Um, you know, I, I could win a state championship and I would still probably share the, the stories that, you know, of us warming up and like stupid games that we play just on a whim. Um, funny, you know, funny jokes that somebody told. I'll remember that stuff more than, than any of the wins that, you know, we've gotten along the way. Impact is impact, and it's not necessarily a, a role or a sport or a location, as as Steve has reiterated multiple times on my podcast, and something that I'm starting to come to to terms with is that you know connections connection, and and all you need is that first kind of real taste of it, and and you're hooked. So very cool how a lot of these stories kind of come to be on how it's it's like wrong place, right time, I guess, if yeah. that's, if that's how we want to describe, describe it. Um, but yeah, super cool. So, uh, Panther Creek does, does pretty well as, as Steve shared, uh, with me. So we're speaking with a, a softball legend as uh, the, I hope so. Uh, one, uh, one of these days as, uh, as those are, are, are Steve's words. So fingers crossed once all this COVID stuff is done, you guys are, are back to kicking butt full time. So those are my two surprise questions. You survived and we will get into it. <laughs> So what is the first most fundamental story? And I described this last podcast as like the first biggest fork that you came to kind of in your journey that if you went left instead of going right, it would have, it would have all been different. Yeah. Um, so it, it goes back to the nine strong. Um, you know, I, I kind of shared what happened and I, I didn't get into uh, where the nine strong came from and, and the outcome that, you know, came from it. So. Um, you know, once I got that diagnosis of what, you know, what bacterial infection it was and what the treatments were, um, we, we really did understand. And I say we, my wife and I, she took care of me through the whole process. Um, we were very fortunate that, you know, she didn't have a full-time job at the time. She was, she was fresh out of, out of law school. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a journey that we took together and, um, you know, it, it was just something that that kind of came out of nowhere, um, and I, I'm probably going to get kind of emotional because that was a that was a really hard time in my life. But um, you know, the diagnosis showed me that you know random things can happen, um, and it's all about how you react to them. Um, and so once I got the diagnosis, and once I once I found out that I was going to lose my finger um, officially, I had to wait three weeks for for that. Um, I went, I went home for three weeks and, and had a, a basically dead finger attached to my hand. It was, I have pictures I'll show you not on here though. Um, <laughs> those, those aren't for anybody's eyes. Um, but when, when I found out that I was going to lose the finger and when I actually had it amputated that next day and, and looked down and, and saw the, what I considered a deformity, you know, I, I, I kind of went, I kind of went south, like real quick. Um, you know, I, I'd always, and I, I hate to admit it, but when I would come up, you know, to a stop sign or a stoplight and I would see, you know, somebody that had a deformity or I'd, I'd pass somebody that had it for me, I always thought, what's wrong? You know, what happened? Like, what, what's wrong with him? And so when it happened to me, that was my first you know, kind of comparison is, well, now something's wrong with me. Now I'm not normal because I don't have 10 fingers. 
And so that process, that thought process, that mentality just, it, it played over and over and over in my head. Um, and I, I couldn't really get past it. And, you know, it was like a rabbit hole. I just kept digging myself a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper the more I thought about it. And I, I, I finally got to a point where, you know, if I went one more day thinking that way, um, I, like I literally contemplated suicide on, on a more serious level than I ever had before. And, you know, it took such a mental and emotional toll on me um, that I was like, there's just no coming back from this. And, you know, my, my father-in-law, you know, I love my wife and I really appreciate everything that she did. And she tried her hardest, but even, even she couldn't, you know, really get me out of that. Um, but my father-in-law just randomly looked at me one day and said, you know, we don't give a crap about your finger. Those weren't his exact words. You can imagine what he really said. Uh, you know, we're just glad that you're here. And if you, if you knew the relationship with my father-in-law before that, you could probably assume it with typical father-in-law and son-in-law relationships in the beginning. It was, it was kind of stressful. And, uh, you know, we weren't the closest. But when he said that, it was just like, wow. So that kind of got, I mean, that was, that was like the first thing that kind of turned me and, and my mindset thinking, you know, in a different way. And, um, you know, I started rehab with, um, and PT with, with my hand. And the first thing when we went in there, she was like, um, you know, I need you to touch your fingers, all of your fingers together. And I was like, well, I don't have that one. So I can't touch it. And I was already cracking jokes on myself, but she was like, no, like you need to be able to touch your thumb to your pinky. And I couldn't do that with my left hand because it just been sitting idle for about a month and a half. Um, and the atrophy, you get, like it was night and day. So right then and there, you know, I just kind of, I kind of got the mindset that, you know, I'm going to take it one step at a time and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can whenever I can right now to make sure that whatever that next step is, I'm, I'm going to get there. And so that's kind of where nine strong came from um, is, you know, for, for so long, I was so worried about what I was missing and my mindset flip was you got to be grateful for what you still have, man. So, you know, that's where the nine came from. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy with the nine that I still have. I'm not even worried about the one that I lost because if I'm, if I'm focused on that one, then I'm not here anymore. I'll be hundred percent honest. Um, and you know, the, the nine strong piece came from basically I was like nine fingers strong and I just, that doesn't that doesn't have a ring to it right so i cut the i cut the fingers out literally right and uh you know cut it down to nine strong um and that that's something that's stuck you know i've, I've got a i've got a wristband with it on i've got a license plate <laughs> um so it's it's not just a story anymore it's it's more of a mantra it's more of a you know it's it's the tale of who i am um and you know, who i am now <laughs> If you have a friend, colleague, whoever that you think would enjoy the stories, lessons, and experiences on the Talking Shop podcast just as much as you do, if you think that they would get just as much value out of listening to these episodes as you do, please take the five seconds to hit share, copy link, and send their way. 
Thank you. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing that and the depth of that story. And it's funny when I first had Steve on my podcast, I asked, you know, who I should tag that's like in their corner and stuff. And he said, Oh, Brian Cromer living nine strong. I was like, that's a weird, that's a weird handle. I wonder what that's about. And then you have the, the, it's in your, your, uh, Twitter bio says living better with nine than I ever did with 10, if I'm not mistaken. And it's crazy how like one sentence can, you know, like we don't give a crap about your fingers, you know, like just how many words that that is, but how it's changed kind of everything. And I'll, I'll try to tie this into a leader kit thing. You know, the three lies of identity is you're not who you're not what you have. You're not what you do and you're not who others say you are. I guess in this case, you're not how many fingers you have, if that's a, if that's appropriate to say. Um, but like, it's so, so I, I guess I've never talked about this on my podcast, but I have a genetic condition where I would get cartilage, just growth on my hands that they have to shave it down. So my right index finger, if you can see it, it's like the same size as my pinky because mm-hmm. that growth plate was like closed. Um, and then on this hand, I can't get my fingers together. Cause like that growth plate was closed on the inside. So it kind of goes sideways and like, not that it's exactly the same, but like, I've like, I guess you could say deformed hands and we've had talks about fixing my fingers and stuff, but like, I don't know, chicks dig scars and I always liked having surgery and stuff, but it's crazy. Like even just, we can get wrapped up in those things like fingers and whatnot. And, and there's been days when it's bothered me and the, the genetic mutation started with me. Um, it was like a frame shift for those biology nerds out there. But um, so follow-up questions based on your story. How many days or weeks was it from that one day in school to the operation? Um, so the, the injury happened um, in October. Um, it was middle of October. Um, and the amputation happened, uh, or I'm sorry, the injury happened the beginning of October and the amputation happened um, towards the beginning of November. So it was, a, it was about a month because I was in Duke for a week. Um, I lost, I think it was like 27 pounds or something like that. Um, I, didn't, I didn't eat an actual meal. And my, my, I, my wife has a picture of this. My first bite of pizza uh, was about four or five days after being admitted. And she was like, oh, thank goodness he's finally eating. Um, yeah, before that, it was all liquid, all liquid diets, jello, applesauce, you know, whatever they could get me to keep down. But um, it was a week in the hospital and then three weeks at home. And ironically, my follow-up visit was on Halloween. Uh, so, so I walked back into the, you know, the, the doctor's office and um, the doctor looked at, the, at my finger and he was like, man, that, that, that's a hot mess, basically. And I was like, yeah, you know, I would have been fine if you cut off like three weeks ago. So we, we got the surgery, you know, set up and scheduled for a, a rough date. And the nurse came back in and she was talking about it. Um, and before I left, you know, she said, happy Halloween. And I said, well, I guess I got part of my Halloween costume already ready. Uh, so I'll just have to figure out the rest of it. Um, so that, that, was, that was one thing that kind of helped me, you know, get through it was, you know, cracking jokes on myself to, you know, lighten the mood with myself before anybody else. It's, it's funny. You mentioned that my last surgery was 
October 17 of my senior year of high school. And I asked to keep the gown and the nurse was like, Shh, you can do it, but like, don't tell anyone. So I was a surgery because I, I saw my bandages on. She was like, and then I was a surgery patient for Halloween. Nice. So, so two questions. First, what is the best joke or best prank you ever got on someone with your finger? And, <laughs> and second is when was the first day that like you hopped in bed and you were like, I didn't think about it once today. Like how long did it take to have like a, I guess, normal day, if that makes sense? Um, well, I'll answer the second question first. Um, I, I still don't know that I consciously am aware of, you know, not what a normal day is. Um, I mean, cause I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself about it. And I think that's, that's what keeps me on track to what I want to do. Right. With, with that sentence, like being stronger mentally, physically, and emotionally than I ever was with 10 fingers. Um, you know, so that's a constant daily thing. But as far as like looking down and saying, oh yeah, it is, it is not there anymore. Um, it was, gosh, probably years, if I had to be honest. Um, I was you know, right after that, the surgery happened. I mean, I would go in restaurants and like, you know, put it in a hoodie pocket or put it under my arm just to hide it so that people didn't look at it and ask about it. Um, I was that self-conscious about it. But um, the best prank, uh, honestly, it came with my son. Um, so, you know, everybody knows the magic finger trick, the, you know, this one. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so I did that. Right. And he, I don't know how old he was, maybe, maybe two, three, somewhere in there. So I'm going like this. I'm like, all right, you ready? I pretended to throw it at him. I was like, you missed it. Where is it? He's like, where'd it go? And he walked around the room looking for it. I just, I was dying. I have a video of it on my phone. I was dying laughing. I, I still don't think he really realized what was going on. Um, but yeah, that, that was by far the best that I think the best, the best laugh that I got from, from a prank. That's epic. You'll definitely have to never let him live that down. Oh no, that's, awesome. that's going to be in his wedding video, you know, someday or his college graduation or high school graduation or something. For sure. For sure. So next move on to the next big question. What is the, the coolest store you have thus far in your journey? Um, so the coolest, it, we're just jumping jumping ship from nine strong and going, you know, right into softball. Um, back in 2019, uh, Panther Creek softball won its first regular season conference championship, um, first in school history. And during that time, um, we played, uh, we played 10 conference games. Um, and one of those games, we were going back and forth with what I would consider our, our rival, um, I'm not going to name any school names to be, uh, you know, to be politically correct and, and, and nice, but, um, you know, we were down by six runs, or I'm sorry, five runs in the bottom of the seventh inning with two outs and two strikes on the batter. And we had a runner on second base, um, which was a leadoff double. So one runner on base down to your final strike. And I don't know how but we ended up clawing our way back into it and coming back to win that game. And the, I don't even think the players knew this, but that game actually clinched the conference championship for us. 
um, because we had beaten the number two and three teams. We had swept them at, at that point. So, um, you know, I, I still get text messages from, from coaches that were at that game that were watching the game just randomly um, about that game. And we still have, you know, players that were either a part of the JV team um, or we're even coming up through, you know, some of the middle school teams that were there to watch the game. They still talk about it. And, you know, the, the coolest thing is like, for me, it showed everybody. That's, that's one of the kind of the, the stepping stones or the milestones for us is like the game's not over until the final out, you know? So you can get us down to two strikes up five runs up six runs. It doesn't matter. Like we're going to fight our way until that final out is called. Um, and, and, you know, we're going to fight for every single pitch that, that we get. Was that at home? So it was a walk-off? It was at home. Yeah, it was, it was one of the craziest games, most memorable game, memorable games that I have ever been a part of um, to the point where I even, I was a part of the state championship baseball team, you know, my junior year in high school. And that game for us, um, that, that comeback game in the bottom of the seventh inning, that felt to me more special than the state championship game um, that I, that I was a part of in, in high school. Um, it felt that's how that's how big that stage felt, you know, in that moment. If you remember, could you narrate like the last like two or three plays? Oh, man. So we had. Um, so let me go back. So we had one, two. All right. So we had I'll, I'll, I'll even do. Uh, yeah, it'd be the final three batters, probably. Um, so we had a runner. We had a runner on uh, second and uh, we bunted. Um, because they were struggling to field bunts and, and throw people out. So with two outs, bunted, with two outs. Oh my! Bunted the ball, um, overthrow, right? And then so we ended up with a runner on second base, and a senior up at bat. Um, so runner at second base is now the tying run. Um, I'm sorry, tying run came around. Winning run is at second base. Uh, so a senior who had not gotten a hit all day. And struggled, struggled. I think she struck out twice, honestly. Um, she comes up, and in my mind, I'm like, all right, if she can just put the ball in play, I know it's going to find a hole. So she gets, I think it's a, a, a two and one count or a one and two count somewhere. I know that I know the numbers were one and a two. So either way, it works out. But that ball was thrown, and she hit a little dribbler back up the middle that found its way through. And I mean, I've got a video of me like jumping up and down, waving the runner around third. And as soon as she rounds third base, um, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm going crazy because I'm like, we're, we're just going to win the game. We're going to win the game. And she comes around and she slides in to home plate. Umpire calls safe. And like, it was deafening to me how loud it was at that field. Um, you know, I was getting text messages and, phone calls for days after that game like man congratulations although I'm never coming to see y'all play again because you know y'all were running through the the conference opponents and then when I show up y'all are down five runs in the bottom of the seventh inning so uh we're not coming back to any games but good luck in the playoffs um but it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun I'm gonna have to practice on my on my announcing skills it'll be something to do with with all this free time you have now <laughs> that you're half retired yeah. <laughs> so last question on that story. So of course, starting the inning down five or six, you know, probably wasn't the most hopeful, but 
when was that moment that you were like, it's like, it's going to happen. Like, when did you know that like, it was just going to get through or you knew that they weren't going to feel the bunt and it was going to all play out. So the funny thing is, you know, when we got the leadoff double, I was like, okay, that's, that's great. That's awesome. I'm, I'm like thinking in my head what I'm going to say after this game, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't want to think that we were going to lose, but I was just getting mentally prepared myself for, for if it happened. And we scored, so we were down by, we were down by five, you know, we scored three runs. And when we had two, I mean, we had two outs with two runners on base and, you know, we were down by two. Um, and I, I think the runners were actually at second and third. Um, I was like, we've, we've got it. Um, yeah, I, I like, I literally have no doubt. And I think that's honestly when, you know, our senior was walking up to the plate who hadn't gotten a hit yet, you know, that game, um, she was over, over two or over three. Um, you know, she was walking up to, up the bat and I was, I was literally looking at the, the runner on second base and telling her when this ball gets through, you're scoring. Like there is no question about it. You will be the winning run for us. You are going, so just get ready because I am waving you home. I, like I will take, I will take another out. We'll play extra innings. That's fine, but you're going home. So yeah, I, it was it was within the last two or three batters. Um, you know, once once we, especially once we got those two runners on with with that senior coming up, I was like, it it's in the bag. We got it. Epic epic story, definitely. So last big story. What is the story you're most proud of this far? So looking back, like the biggest kind of full circle moment thus far. Yeah. So this is, this has been one that has really been in the mix and has kind of evolved over, man, probably five or six years. Um, you know, I've, I've been at Panther Creek with my assistant varsity coach for, for nine years after this, after this last season. Um, and she's been there for, for every game with me. Um, or almost every game. She's missed a couple of games, but, you know, she's been there every season. And we we had the idea, um, it's probably about five years ago, six years ago, uh, to create a, a space um, during practice time where it was off field and the girls got together basically and, and had a safe space to kind of pour into each other, um, to connect on a deeper level. And we called it Empower Hour. Um, and, and basically, you know, it started off as, you know, myself and, and my assistant coach, um, Jill, Coach Smedley, uh, you know, we would talk about what we wanted or what we thought was best for the girls to talk about. And um, I wasn't in there. I, I felt like, you know, a male being in a space where females are trying to connect is, is not is not going to facilitate the kind of connection that you really want. Um, so I, I removed myself and that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do as a coach is turn the power over to somebody else, not like, and putting full 100% trust in them that they got it. And, you know, it, it paid off um, tenfold, a millionfold. I, I can't even put a, a number on it. Um, but it is, it has evolved into, it's evolved from a, a place where the coaches kind of, I would say, controlled the topics to, you know, a place where the players are taking more ownership in it now. 
and actually requesting, you know, time to meet. And, you know, if the players request it, the coaches give it. Um, that's just, that's how we've operated the last two seasons or three seasons, really. Um, you know, if the, if the players step up and say, hey, coach, you know, we, we need some time, we feel like that connection pays off on the field more than extra reps and extra practice. Um, so we're doing everything that we can to make sure that they're connecting, you know, together off the field um, as, as best as possible. You know, they don't, they don't have to love each other all the time, um, but, you know, they don't have to be best friends. But, you know, once we get back on the field, you know, we all understand that we got a, we got a job to do. We got a role, you know, in, in the program and that time, you know, in that, in that space has really paid off for, for them um, and for the program. So two questions kind of on that. What was the spurring or inspiration of that? Was it a feeling of disconnect between the girls? Was it just hearing, uh, um, like something at like a softball coaches conference or kind of what was the, the genesis of that? And then second, what was the first moment that you saw that pay off or you realized like this happened because of that? Well, you know, my, my assistant coach, Jill, I mean, she was, she was in most of the meetings, you know, in the beginning and she would kind of give me an overview, like a very vague overview, you know, on how it went. Um, not going into any kind of detail about anything specifically, but she saw it way earlier than I did. And, you know, I, I think she saw it because she knew what happened in there specifically. And she saw, you know, dynamics and relationships kind of change and evolve for the better. Um, and because that happened on a personal level that, you know, that carried over to the field. And that's when I saw it. So there was a lot that went on before that kind of evolved into what I ultimately saw. Um, and I mean, that took, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and energy, not just from you know, coaches, but I mean, really from the players. And it takes a lot of trust for, for them to step out of their shell, um, you know, and share that kind of stuff. But as far as what, you know, really inspired it, it, it really kind of just happened on a whim. Um, yeah, it happened in a conversation that that Jill and I were having, uh, you know, one day and, you know, the idea popped out. I don't even know who suggested it first. Um, you know, that, that, that doesn't even matter. But the more we talked about it, the more we were like, this could really be something, something special. And, you know, I know that we always do like an end of the year evaluation, um, you know, with, with the coaching staff. And it came out in one of those those talks that, you know, we, we felt like we had a little bit too much drama or we felt like we weren't, you know, everybody wasn't vibing the right way on field. And, you know, what is the cause of that, you know, and trying to dive deeper in that. So instead of being reactive to everything, we wanted to be proactive. And I think that's where, you know, that, that idea evolved is, you know, we're going to do a lot of work on the front end and get ahead of this, whatever it is. Um, and give the, give the girls the opportunity and the chance to really pour into each other, connect with each other um, again, and, and just kind of build that chemistry and that, that energy that we want to see on the field. Um, but, you know, if, if, if we're talking about, you know, the connection transferring to the field and like, 
you know, I got to be able to trust you. You know, if, if I'm playing with you, I got to be able to trust you, you know, on the field that you got my back. Well, how do I know that you really got my back? If, if, you know, we're not talking and having, having meaningful conversations. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of where we, where we brainstormed it from um, and kind of how it evolved over time. Fantastic. So it was interesting as I got in with the TC women's tennis team, just hearing some of the meetings with just the coaches, some of the, the team meetings, and they actually did a similar type of thing on Mondays, but then also hearing stories from the men's tennis coaches and just like how, you know, obviously like coaching guys and girls is very different, but this idea of like an empower hour with girls versus with guys. So if you had to give last question on this topic, some sort of advice for a coach working with a guy sport, having, you know, done guy sports, obviously your whole life and being a dude, where is the value in doing something like that with the guys team? And how would you recommend doing that? Well, I mean, especially nowadays, you know, I, I really feel like guys need to be well-rounded. Right. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of men are somewhat afraid to show emotion and, you know, vulnerability is power. I mean, as much as I, I hate to put that out there, I, it's out there already, but vulnerability is power and there's power in story. And if you take away the opportunity to share stories um, and, and kind of get, get down into those special details and, and bring out emotion and, and stuff like that, if, if you take away that opportunity, then you're really robbing, you know, your athletes of, of the chance to really have a meaningful experience. And, you know, I, I would say like how to do it. Um, it's it's going to differ with every group. It's going to differ with every athlete to athlete um, and every, and, and the coach, because there's a dynamic there too, but, you know, creating a space away from the sport, away from the practice field, away from the game field, where you know that whatever is said in that room is not going to leave that room. Um, unless, unless, of course, it's detrimental to, you know, your well-being um, physically, then, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere. And I think it doesn't happen in a day either. You know, I think everybody wants it like, Hey, what can I do? All right, we're going to put it in place. Well, it didn't work. You got to work with it and evolve it. I mean, and each group coming in and each group going out, ask feedback, you know, ask questions, um, use the athletes. I mean, they, they, they know everything about themselves, whether they, whether they think they do or not. So if you, if you ask the right questions, then they're going to give you the answers and you're going to be able to use those answers to put in, you know, whatever you want to put in, um, in, in the way that it makes sense to them, not, not the way that it makes sense to you. So don't try to force anything on them, have them contribute, have them help build it. And, you know, it's, it's going to stand forever. You got to design that environment and lead with questions. Look yep. at me go. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. So last question, 
So on TSP, I love the theory I call the stories, lessons, experiences, because the X's and O's are why we're coaches. That's what brings us together. But consequently, when it comes time to reflect, catch up with old teammates and athletes and stuff like that, the X's and O's are, are the last things, um, the last things that get brought up. But at the end of the day, we are all here to become better practitioners and become better at what we do. So if you had to give the listener one question to ask themselves on a daily basis, just a, a sticky note on the mirror, what would that question be to help them get better? Yeah, it would, it would be where or to who can I give more intentional attention? And, you know, the, the phrase intentional attention kind of popped into my head about honestly a year ago. Um, you know, during, during the whole COVID thing, um, you know, I, I frequently got stressed out about everything and I would run to my phone and look at social media or do it, you know, do something that would distract me. Um, and so I started thinking about, you know, where are, where is my attention going and what are the things that I'm pouring into and are they really building me up the way that I need to be built up? Um, so if you can do a daily reflection you know, whether it's at night after the, after the day's finished or in the morning, you know, to prepare for your day and ask yourself, where can I give more intentional attention or who do I need to give that attention to? Um, I think that's going to open up, you know, your, your ability to say, okay, I need to steer today this way. And this is why. Um, so there, there are going to be a lot of pieces that kind of fall into place there. And it, it really, it kind of, it kind of gets you grounded and keeps you grounded, you know, in the moment and not thinking too far ahead or, or too much about the past. Um, it kind of keeps you in the present, uh, a little bit more than, you know, some of the other reflective questions or, or planning questions would, would do. Yeah. And intentional is a word I love because it's rooted in action. You know, what are you intentionally doing or intentionally giving attention? But that was one of the, the main things that, that kind of hit me as I was going through this leader kit stuff with Steve and winning leader Academy was just like realizing how much intentionality goes into being a good or better leader as boiled down as to simple word choice, you know, as there has been a few phrases that I've tossed in that like I chose specific verbs and nouns and stuff like that. And just like, there is no like, accident well there is like stumbling into softball and uh and living nine strong but there's no accident when it comes to like you creating the most value right engineering value so whatever it is whether it's intentionally accomplishing a goal intentionally trying to add more value intentionally trying to crush the day i think just this idea of like specifically doing i'm trying to figure out a better word for intentional or just like way to rephrase it but like that's just the word like what are you just doing that you would not have done otherwise you know and just like taking a step back and saying and like i think it comes from like having power you know like like that's one thing that i love about wla is like i know that i'm specifically doing things right now do i wish i was farther along obviously but like i think that there's so much power knowing that you can specifically do things. You can intentionally do things that you wouldn't have done otherwise just by asking yourself a simple question. And that was my best way to try to rephrase and, and kind of uh, summarize that question. But I think it's very simple. Intentional yeah. attention. 
Well, and, and that word to me, it, it kind of transfers the, the power from I can to I will. You know, when you answer that question, it's like, where do or who do, you know, I need to, I need to give attention to, you identify it. And then right then and there, you have a choice to make. And it's, I can go, you know, I'm not going to, or I am. And I always go for, you know, when I, when I ask myself that question, I always find myself going to, okay, I will, you know, consciously make that decision to reach out to so-and-so today or to complete this task um, or to, you know, pour a little bit more into myself or what, like whatever it is that I identify um, by answering that question, because I have identified it, I am, I am so much more likely to, to actually do it. I think the, the hardest part of that process or the easiest part is actually doing it. The hardest part is figuring out what the answer to that question is. And then it just becomes do or do not, you know? So the hardest part, the hardest part is like figuring out where or who you need to intentionally give attention to. Um, but after that, it's just execute, just do, you know? So well, that's, that's the beauty of the question too, is, you know, you're, you're doing a little bit of reflecting, but you're also doing a little bit of planning at the same time. So it's, that's why I say it kind of keeps you grounded because you're, you're constantly evaluating, you're constantly planning, and then you, you bring it to the point of execution. Um, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Tying both together. And, um, the last episode, this will be 109 on 107. My, my Thailand buddy, um, his, his question was, what would my future self give advice to my current self about? It's like, you know, the answer, you just have to ask your question, give yourself the space to think about it, realize what your options are. And one is to do what you determined or to not. And then it becomes pretty simple at that point. So yeah, reflection and planning and execution. It's a, it's a solid formula right there. So wrapping this up, I want to say thank you very much for, you know, being super open and candid about your stories and sharing about all that stuff. And now the red carpet is yours to plug whatever you got to plug. Where can, where can we get more of coach Cromer? Well, right now I am actually on a social media, uh, hiatus. I, I deleted everything off my phone. Um, and I'm, I'm going social media free for an entire three months. So an entire summer. So right now you will not see me on social media for uh, a couple of months. I'll be back in the middle of August, um, but definitely, you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram is another good one. Um, I'm usually off Facebook for the most part, but um, Panther Creek softball, man, that's, that's where to find me. Uh, you'll, you'll see me a little bit around Jeremy Boone and, and winning leader Academy as well. Um, so I got to give my, my shout out to that guy. Cause if, if it weren't for him, honestly, um, I would not be where I am today. Uh, I, I can, I can honestly say that, you know, the nine strong got me, got me going in the direction. Um, you know, a- everything that I've, I've accomplished over the last, you know, three years has had some, some form or fashion has, has come back down to one of his, one of his frameworks. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely grateful for him and everything that he's done. Uh, and, and his presence in my life for sure. Um, but no, I mean, that's, that's about it. Um, that's, that's where I live and give my time. Um, so I'm excited. I, I really do appreciate you having me on here. 
Fantastic. And if anyone is interested in, in any of the work Jeremy Boone does or WLA, uh, feel free to reach out to Coach Cromer or myself. I will shamelessly plug, advertise, promote anything that Jeremy does, just the impact that he and you and Steve have had on me. Honestly, like being almost 25 with all the exposure to the things I have thus far, as it honestly feels like a cheat code. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll leave it at that pretty vague so people have to reach out. But I want to say thank you very much again. And I hope you enjoy your social media. Uh, not binge. What's the opposite of hiatus. binge? Hiatus. Hiatus. Enjoying some well-deserved, well-earned off time with the two boys and a relaxing summer. And we will talk soon. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me again.